Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You know, one of my, one of my favorite uh, characters, you would call it, or one of my favorite historical persons is George Washington. You know, as a leader during the French and Indian War and, and the American Revolution, uh, he was he was the right man for a very difficult time. And and he, I, I believe, his wisdom and his abilities forged our country to be what it became in 1776. Now, understand, I am not foolish enough to believe that he was a perfect man. Yes, he was a slave owner, and yes, he was a harsh man at times. But he was the kind of person, he was the person we needed for our country when it rebelled against England. Now, Ron Chernow wrote a book, and it was called Washington Alive. That's a picture of the front cover there. And Chernow stated his intention in writing this book was to give a a large-scale, one-volume, cradle-to-grave narrative that was both dramatic and authoritative. And what we're going to find today as we get into the verses of Galatians that we're in, That's exactly what Paul is trying to do, but obviously not about George Washington. What Paul is attempting to do, he's trying to give us a cradle-to-the-grave picture uh, of every Christian. He's trying to reveal our place in redemptive history. And even more important, he's trying to give us an appreciation for what our identity is. You know, we as humans seem to be, especially this in the society we live in today, we seem to have this fixation, this this obsession with identity. Who are we? You know, why are we here? What am I supposed to be doing? How do I relate with other people? We take personality tests, and I'm sure many of you have heard of the Myers-Briggs personality test which, by the way, is not accepted by any school of psychology because it's a bunch of bunk. They don't accept it. You know that it was originally developed with mysticism and spirit writing. And in some churches today, we've allowed another dangerous personality test, and I put that in quotes because that's not really what it originally was, to infiltrate the church. It's called the Enneagram. But it says this shady history. I've researched it. I've read about it. I've watched videos on it. And in its final form that we see today, and that's, that's not quite the final form because the numbers aren't there, because there are nine personality traits, and it's touted as a personality test, when in reality, one of the people who p- kind of promoted it for a long time in the early 1900s, in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, says that he developed the final Enneagram with spirit writing, contacting the spirit world and writing it out, which is expressly forbidden in Scripture. And yet we are letting these things into the church. But see, the reality is, is what some pagan or even scientific test tells us about our personality is really a mute point. Because the most important thing we have to remember is what our identity is in Christ. 
That is what matters. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to, if you get your Bibles, please turn to Galatians 3. We're going to start with verse 23. We'll go to verse 29. Stand as we read God's Word. Remember, Paul is trying to, uh, he's basically taking the churches of Galatia to the woodshed about the fact that they have left the gospel, that they are following a false gospel, like many of the churches are doing today. And he's telling them that it's, we have salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone. It's not what you do. It's not a works-based. And that's what he says in verse 23. He says, now before faith came, so before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. If you remember last week, I talked about that, how, how the law was put into place until Christ come. Christ is the faith that he's talking about. So he says, now before faith came, he's talking about Jesus. Before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of Jesus would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Remember we said the law, its purpose, one of its purposes was to restrain sin. And in the process, it shows us our sin. And because of that, we are living under the curse of the law. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Of God through faith. Because remember, what was happening was that the Judaizers were trying to get the Galatian people in Galatian churches to be circumcised, to become Jewish. And Paul says, You're already sons of God. For as many of you have been were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Father, we praise you for your word. Lord, we we know the importance of our identity in, in you, the identity we have in Christ We can search through all kinds of things, Father, but that's the most important thing. Who are we in Christ? Help us, Father, as we go through these words that you have written through the Apostle Paul. Help it to move us to where we need to be, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen. We're seated. You know, we talked about last week that the law kept us captive until Christ came to die for our sins. I mean, this is a very bleak depiction of what it looks like to be without Christ. We are captive. Israel and all of humanity were prisoners, slaves to sin and to our sin nature. That we all inherited from Adam when Adam sinned. In verse 22, Paul stated this and now again repeats it in verse 23. Everything is under the controlling power of sin. Look at the world today. Look at just the last year and a half. 
and tell me that this world is not controlled by sin. It is. It's evil. Now understand, I know, God is sovereign. Ultimately, He's controlled over everything, but He is allowing Satan and evil to control what's going on right now. I always think back to the part in uh, when the, the story in Revelation where uh, there's a war in heaven and, and Satan is thrown down and the angels say, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because he has come to you now. He is here now. He no longer has access to the throne. And that happened at the crucifixion of Christ. Or understand eternity's time's a little different. But when Jesus came... That's when it happened. It was epitomized at the cross. Finalized at the cross. Satan is now here and he is not happy. But all of Israel, all of humanity were were prisoners. Powerless to overcome the sin nature that we have inside of us and sin in the world. If there's anything we have felt in the last year and a half is powerlessness. What do we do? We do exactly what the government says. We're still powerless. Nothing changes. We're right back to where we were. Jesus himself told us what our position was apart from him in John 8, 34. Jesus says, he says, he answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is our identity without Christ. Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, or any other personality test will not tell you this. But that is who you are apart from Christ. You are a slave to sin. And the problem with this is that our sin nature, the, 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 the slavery that we have to sin is foundational to our lives. It, it changes how we view life. It changes how we relate to each other. And it changes how we relate to God. And you understand that's why our, our identity in Christ is so important. We struggle with the world. We struggle with each other. We struggle with God. There's been a lot of um, people, uh, famous people, are, are especially in the Christian music industry, that have gone through what's called reconstruction. They're struggling with what they believe. And they've taken on the things of the world, and now they are no longer believers. Which makes you wonder if they're ever believers to begin with. For Israel, being prisoners of sin was so complicated because now they had the law. It was different than it was for other nations. It was even more complex. Due to their slavery to sin, the law brought a curse instead of a blessing. I mean, you would think that it would have been a blessing, right? So now we know what our limits are. So it's a blessing. Speed limit is 55. I know if I go 65 and I lose control of my car, I'm going to kill somebody or kill myself. That's a blessing to know that I can, if I stay at 55 and I stay on my side of the road, and now they got the rumble strips, which really should keep me on my side of the road. It's a blessing, but the law is not a blessing. It becomes a curse. 
Because it shows their sin. It shows that they can't do it. It shows that they are far from the blessings of God. The law was a guardian. It was not a liberator. They had just been liberated from slavery in Egypt, but it did not, it, that did not liberate them from sin. And the law did not liberate them from sin, it, as it doesn't do today. And the law is a very unforgiving jailer. Because it exposes our sin, and then it fails to give us a solution. So what's the solution? So since it says, you know, thou shalt not steal. Okay, what's the solution to that? In the law, it's not there. Now, we know what the solution is. The solution is Christ. The solution is, is, is turning to Christ and living a life in Christ. That's the solution to the sin that the law brings out. But the law gives us no solutions. But we also have to remember that the law was not permanent. It was, it was put in place until salvation would come through Jesus Christ. The law served as a constant reminder to Israel and the nation that they were, they have, they were apart from God's inheritance. Because remember, Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness. And those who believe like Abraham will get his inheritance, the blessing, which is Christ. They weren't getting it because they were going by the law. If we do not have faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation, then our identity and the kind of life we are experiencing will be a life of slavery. That's that's the problem with these personality tests. That's the problem with the Enneagram. Be honest with you. If you talk to anybody who's who's been in it and used it and they gotten away from it, they're like, it was everything to me. It enfolded me. It, it, it defined everything how I dealt with everybody. And I found out it was separating me from people. The more I found out about my Enneagram numbers, the more I knew that the other Enneagram numbers couldn't relate to me. And it puts you on a pedestal. It's a me. It's all about me. Me, me, me. Jesus says, no, it's about me. It's about Christ. Apart from Jesus, we are held captive and imprisoned, and we are denied access to God's glorious inheritance. And we will remain that through eternity if we don't turn to Christ. We will remain imprisoned in our sins. This is not how God intended it. We know from the beginning he intended it to be different than it is. The great turning point in human history, the dawning of faith and the coming of Jesus Christ in human flesh to die for the lost, that was the pivotal point in all of history. It changed everything. The law no longer mattered. It no longer was our guardian. Now we had faith in Christ. It was the answer to all the problems that the law showed. It was the answer to everything. 
Just as for the American Revolution, the Battle of Saratoga was the pivotal point because it was that point when the American army won that the French came in and supplied us. That was the turning point of the war. For you and me, the turning point of our war with sin is Jesus Christ when he came and died and rose again. When we turn to Christ and we put our faith in him, we are no longer under the law's guardianship. The law can no longer condemn us and it can no longer imprison us. It no longer has any power over us. Sin is done. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. I I struggle with sin. Yeah. You want to know why you struggle with sin? Because you keep going for it. You keep grabbing it. You keep falling for it. You keep doing those things because that's what you like to do in your sin nature. You have not put it to death. And believe me, I'm not condemning you because there there are sins in my life I still struggle with and still having to daily put them to death. In Romans 6, Paul, Paul says, We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Jesus was crucified so that the sin inside of us would be nothing. It would cannot have a foothold. It cannot do anything. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We have a new and radical relationship to God. We no longer have to go through high priests. We no longer have to do the sacrifices because Jesus was a sacrifice for all. The message of the gospel should, should give us this deep passion for God. I, I think today we've lost that. We've lost the passion that the gospel should give us. A desire to trust him more every day. More than we trust the government. More than we trust our family more than we trust ourselves. The love that we have becomes a reflection of the love that God has. John tells us in 1 John 4.19 that we love because why? Because he first loved us. And we know he loves us because he sent his sons for God to love the world. He sent his son to die for us. And no greater love has a man for another than one that's willing to give up his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. See, this this love has been compared to the love of a son that a son has for his father. And a father has for his son because that's what we become when we believe in Christ. No offense to the ladies. We become daughters of God too. I don't. But you do as women, become daughters. Think of the love between a daughter and a father, and a father and a daughter. I have, I have, I, I have the benefit of having both. It's different, but I love them both so dearly. But that's what God's love is for us and how, what kind of love we should have for God because that is what we become when we believe in Christ. We become sons and daughters of God. And what Paul does is he quotes 2 Samuel in 2 Corinthians 6.18. He says, this is what God says. He says, and I will be father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
We're all adopted as sons and daughters of God. What a great love. What a great promise. As, see, as we experience God's mercy, and His mercy flows from us, not just because we are His children, but because of the Holy Spirit in us, as we become more aware of our sins, even the ones we continue to commit, we also experience the grace of God and the forgiveness. Last night, I, I had to get after Caleb. It had been a crazy day. We'd done a lot. But he kept doing the same thing over and over again after Beth told him, stop. And I got after him. I hadn't done this in a while. And he's crying. And of course, what do I do when my kids cry? My heart breaks, right? My heart breaks. And I grab him and I said, son, I love you dearly. I'm so proud of you. But you better stop this. You better stop. <clears throat> and I tell you these things because I love you. I discipline you because I love you. God disciplines us because he loves us. And we experience his grace in the gospel. But see, in order to do that, not everybody can experience God's grace. Sinners don't experience God's grace. You must be in Christ. Now how? how? How do we do that? I mean, those, that's one of those terms when we tell people, well, you got to be in Christ. I mean, we can't just leave it there. You can't just say you got to be in Christ. You know? That's like, that would be like go, t- taking someone to a, a, put them in a car that's stick shift, and they've never driven stick shift, and say, start it. That's all you tell them. Start it. Well, they don't know they have to push the clutch in. Right? So what do they do? They try. They won't start. So we can't just tell people to be in Christ. We need to explain what that means. So by becoming in Christ, or to use a more robust theological term, is actually to be incorporated into Christ. That's the more theological term for it. This is the heart of what Paul is writing here. See, to be incorporated into Christ is to be put into something, to be included in something it's almost like being chosen for the team. If you want to take a sport analogy or a, a, a gym analogy, if you're being chosen, you know, I was I was always the, almost always the last one chosen for dodgeball. I don't know why I could play, but I, I was just always the last one chosen. But it's kind of like being chosen for for the team or or joining friends for dinner. And being involved in the conversation, you are incorporated when you are included. So when we become sons and daughters of God through faith, the very thing that the Judaizers were trying to say needed to happen already happens. Because what we do is we get involved in God's family. We, we begin to have conversations with God. We read his word. We feel his presence. He, he teaches us. He moves us. He gives us things. He gives us the Holy Spirit. disciplines us. He tells us when we're wrong. He gives us those around us to love us, to be part of a family. And what Paul uses is he uses this, uh, this image of baptism in verse 27 as a sign of our incorporation into Christ. Now, understand, I, I, we do not believe 
that when you enter the water of baptism, that there's any saving significance to that act. I mean, when you accept Christ, you're saved. And now you're in the family, and now there's things you need to, you need to be, you need to, to be aware of to make sure that you're part of the family. You know, when we adopted Caleb and Abigail, we didn't just, you know, we didn't, as they were growing, we didn't, like lay, we didn't just, like, not lay down any rules for them. You know, as being part of this family, you're going to treat your mother with respect. You're going to clean your room. You're going to do what you're told. We're going to love you. We're going to give you all that we can. But there's things you need to do. As believers in Christ and sons and daughters of God, we, we, there's things we need to do. We need to be part of the church family. We need to read his word. We need to pray. We need to care. We need to be ready to do those things that God wants us to do, those good works that he wants us to do in our daily lives. Nothing extraordinary. Just being a mom, being a dad, being a worker, being a neighbor. We need to love. Being in Christ is not a complicated... There's not rituals. You you don't need to jump through a bunch of hoops. You just need to be Christ to the world. But you need to be in his word, and you need to be praying, and you need to be around other believers, and you need to be asking questions, and you need to be studying. You need to be doing these things. Not that it saves you, but that's part of being part of the family. I I think we've we've missed that. We've lost it. But Paul uses baptism as this beginning moment, this, this sign. He says, now, you know, Paul says that this is because for the early church, repentance, faith, conversion, and baptism were most of the time one experience. So you came to faith, okay? You, you, you heard the, the gospel, you believed, you had faith, you were converted from being a sinner to being saved in Christ by grace, and then boom, you're going to be baptized that day. I mean, we'd have, to have, we'd have to have this thing full of water all the time. At least I hope we would. But that would be it. You'd be baptized immediately. It was one event. It was a package deal. Now today, we've de-emphasized baptism. I, I, it bothers me at times. I think it's a mistake. So much that it may be months or even years after someone professes faith in Jesus Christ that they actually go through baptism. I, I believed when I, I believed in Christ when I was like 12. I didn't get baptized until I was in my 20s. Was it important for me? Yeah. But it kind of lost some of that, that feeling of this is something big. And usually it's many years after somebody joins a church that they actually get baptized. And, and believe me, I'm glad they get baptized. Much better because it's, it's all about obedience. It's not about salvation. But at least they're doing it. But, but I think we need to rethink baptism here. And for you grandparents and parents who have children who have not been baptized, you've got to think about this. You know. When they accept Christ, they, they should be baptized immediately, as soon as possible. Not that it saves them, but it's part of that whole experience, as Paul is saying. At one time, it was a rite of initiation actually into the church. You could not be part of the church unless you were baptized. 
Baptism was once the principal way to profess your faith in Christ. Now, as Protestants, we know we become very extremely careful. We, we, we don't want to... We don't want to. We want to kind of distance ourselves from the Catholic idea that salvation comes through baptism, which is one reason why they baptize infants and then they confirm them later. They confirm their faith later. But we need to reevaluate the robust significance that the New New Testament scriptures place upon baptism. There are probably some professing Christians in the church today who have never been baptized. And while baptism is not a salvation issue, as I keep saying, it is a matter of faith and obedience to the Word of God. Now, we also know that being in Christ does not guarantee freedom from temptation. We, we think that, you know, if I, if I put on Christ, if I'm in Christ, if I'm reading the Bible, if I'm praying, if I'm, I'm meeting with people, if I'm going to church on Sundays, if I'm in a small group, then I don't have to worry about temptation. Right? Wrong. In fact, I believe we put a target on our back. When, when, I, when I became a pastor, I knew I was putting a target on my back. If Satan can get me, and he tries. If I could be tempted enough and I fall, it damages the church. Even if it was just me, it still damages the church. At least maybe you know the church will be fine, but the view of the church from the outside is damaged. We need to take this seriously. Still, as a believer, I will be tempted. And I must be able to withstand temptation. I think that's one of the reasons why, I'll go back to the Enneagram again, why the Enneagram is so popular in the church. It's an easy way. Oh, I find out more about me. I find out more about you. Oh, now I know what I don't have to do, what I shouldn't do, or who I am. And it works, believe it or not. The problem is it destroys at the same time. There are medicines that are amazing. Chemotherapy is an amazing thing, but it'll kill you. In fact, that's their goal, is to get to the point where they're killing the cancer. It almost kills you, and then you can recover. There are things that work that doesn't mean they're always good for us. Now, Apostle Paul gives this great description of the process of putting our old self, our old sin nature, to death, which is part of being in Christ. He says this in Romans 7, uh, verse 6. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, so if I'm doing what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. See, Paul is talking about Repentance and talking about putting away, putting to death the sin nature. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is the flesh. There's nothing good in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's that whole being enslaved to sin. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to is, kept, is what I keep doing. I keep being tempted, and I keep falling. 
This is from a believer's standpoint. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. It doesn't excuse me from it. It's the sin inside me that I am not controlling, that I am not putting to death, and I'm still now I'm committing sin. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's this constant struggle that we have inside of ourselves. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Will it be Myers-Briggs? Will it be the Enneagram? No. No. They will not deliver you. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So we have to put the sin nature to death. We have to put the flesh to death. We have to control. This is what I was talking with Caleb last night. I said, you need to learn to control yourself. You need to pray that God helps you control yourself. Think before you act. You know, many times we are so aware of our sins and our failures that we become depressed. That's what the, he did. He, Caleb started crying. He, later on, he's just like crying. I just, I don't know why I do this. I said, well, I'll tell you why you do that. Because you're, you're, you're still sinful. But God, God, Jesus loves you. He wants you to do better. And he will help you. That's why Paul says, what a wretched man I am. The weight of our sins crushes us. We long for freedom from our sins, which in reality is a longing for God himself. See, the interesting thing is, what if the reality is that we're already free? We are. We must confess our sins daily, and we're forgiven. But even more so, we need to proclaim Christ in the midst of of our troubles. In the midst of our temptation, we need to proclaim, proclaim Jesus Christ. We need to rely on the gospel and the Holy Spirit to overcome the temptation of sin before we fall into that sin. Not that we'll ever be completely sinless. None of us are. None of us, none of us ever will be because that'll only happen when we stand before Christ. So, one of the important things about being in Christ is hearing the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. It keeps us free from the law of sin and death. Hearing it, hearing in faith keeps us filled with the Holy Spirit, giving us this radical trust that surrenders everything we are and everything we have to the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us dearly. And what is the gospel? Folks, the gospel is not just, well, Jesus in the manger grows up has a ministry, dies on the cross, rises again. That's not the gospel. It is. What's well, the four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, whole, the gospel is the whole book of the Bible. When Jesus was resurrected, he comes back, and what he does? He says his disciples, and he shows them, he teaches them everything that the scriptures say about him. What scriptures did they have? The Septuagint, the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament. The Old Testament's all about Jesus. 
it's foreshadowing. It's images of him. That's why I'll tell you, you know, we talk about David. You're not David. I don't care what anybody tells you in any Bible study. You're not David. Jesus is David. He's the one who slays the giant that can't be killed. We we can't put ourselves into it and say we're the hero because we're not the hero in this big story. Jesus is the hero. And he is the one who gives us a new identity. When we put on Christ, we, we might say that we are given new clothes. Second, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We put aside our old selves, our old identity, our old ways of life, the old way we used to think. Yeah, that old way keep, starts creeping back in because we're comfortable with it. We've got to fight it. And we put on our new person, which is Jesus Christ, who is our new identity and our new way of life. We don't need Myers-Briggs. We don't need the Enneagram to tell us who we are. We are in Christ. We are children of God, co-heirs with Christ. When we're incorporating Christ through faith, we, we get this new identity. I am no longer a lost sinner. I am now redeemed. And since we all get this new identity, there's no longer even an identity between us that divides us. That's why Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man nor woman. We're all children of God. that, that, That is one of the many problems with these personality tests is that they divide us. They tell us where we're different from each other. And we're we're all the same under Christ. Redeemed. Jesus Christ unifies us. It's been my biggest problem with everything going on in the world right now. Everything, every response that this government and this this society has had for COVID has done nothing but separate us. Put on a mask, stay in your home. Jesus says, no. Trust me. Have faith in me. Have no fear. Love each other. Be unified in me. Whatever identity was keeping us from the promise in the old covenant are now, they're all removed. These distinctions, they're no longer barriers. There's no longer black, white, yellow, red, pink, whatever. Bald, hairy, it doesn't matter. We're all one. We're all unified under Christ. That's why we should love each other. We're all part of his family, his body, his church. That's why Paul says, don't stop meeting together, as is the custom of some to do. We need to keep meeting together in homes, here on Sunday, whenever possible. It's not that, here's here's the thing, it's not that Christ eliminates all the differences. In fact, I say, viva la difference, right? I'm glad my wife's not like me. Not just physically, but other ways too. Because she completes me. Well, Jesus completes me. The three of us work together. And we're one complete person. Maybe. I don't know. But understand, he doesn't eliminate our differences. So we can't use this as an excuse to have unisex bathrooms. Okay, We can't use this as a reason to accept transgenderism as, as a, or homosexuality or, or whatever as a, a, a normal practice. 
That's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying that it's not, it's not that. But we, what he's saying is that these, these differences that we have, all of us have, are subordinate to our identity in Christ. So what does that look like in a daily, a daily way? So when I look at Beth, when I look at my wife, you know, and, 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 I, and I see the differences, not just physically, but in our personalities and in our emotions. As a man, I'm going to get frustrated because I'm not that emotional, right? But if I look at her as being in Christ as I am, I can look at her and say, that's how God made her, and that's, that, that makes it better. And my logic, my, you know, Spock logic sometimes, because I think my logic kind of gets out of hand, but that logic also makes it better. That's why we're together. That's why we're in this church together. All of us. We all contribute something to each other. But we have to look at each other in Christ. It is Jesus Christ who's the decisive thing about each of us. Not that we are Jewish or Greek or slave or free or even male or female. Our identity in Christ is not just about us as individuals, but as a church. So what do we do? What happens? We Ultimately, what happens, we get to share in Christ's inheritance. When we are in Christ, not only do we get a new identity, which is our true identity, but we also get to share in the inheritance of Christ. We become co-heirs with him when we are joined to him. And here's how this flows. So through faith, we become baptized into Christ. We become Christ. Christ apostrophe S. We become his. We don't become little Jesuses, by the way. That's a, that's a lie of the progressive church or of the new age church. I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. We become his possession. 1 Corinthians, Paul, and 6, 19 through 20, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We must lose our lives so we can save our lives, so we can find them. We give up our rights, and by doing so, we gain the rights as children of God. I have every right to sin. I have every right to do what I want to do. I give that up to become co-heir with Christ. That's the way God designed it from the very beginning. There's, this is plan A, and there is no plan B. See, our identity in Christ is more relevant and more practical than any identity placed on us by a test that this world can come up with. If we belong to Christ and we, we, we have nothing to fear, there's nothing to fear in Christ, even though we live in uncertain times, because we know that Jesus told us, fear not, little flock, in Luke 12, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Being in Christ should, be, should help us to take heart and not have fear and to endure, to endure whatever God throws at us, whatever God allows us to experience. In Hebrews 10, it says, you have need of endurance. Oh, oh, yeah, you better believe it. In this world today, with the amount of sickness, the amount of disease, the amount of trouble, the amount of evil in this world, yeah, we need endurance. He says, so that you, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
you need endurance to stew the will of God. We must walk by faith, living lives that are countercultural for the cause of Christ. Sometimes I'm not so sure that people even know we're Christians because we're not walking countercultural lives. We're doing the same things they do. The churches are doing the same things that the world does. We can't anymore. We're strangers in this world. This is not our home. We are walking through it. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, this is part of being in Christ, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. You wake up in the morning and you read the news and you're worried about everything? Don't. Don't worry. Don't read the news. Think about the things above. Set your mind on things that are above and not things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And whenever we take something and we put it away, we've got to to put something in its place or else that other thing will come right back. So he tells us in verse 12 of chapter 3, Put on then, as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called to one body. And be thankful. Yes, at the end, I love it. And be thankful. Because then, if we do that, then we can look forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We need to walk in Christ. We need to be in Christ. We need to keep our eyes on Christ in the midst of a world that's fallen apart. God's still in control. Nothing has surprised him. He knows everything that's going on. You have no reason to fear. We don't need to be taking these personality tests to see what kind of person we are because we are all one in Christ. Period. We need to put those evil things to death. We need to put all those things out of our lives. When Paul is talking about sexual immorality, he says there must be none of it among you. I leave all these things that Paul tells us to put to death, to put away, needs to be not part of us as a church. No immorality, impurity, no bad passions, no evil desires, no covetousness, and no idolatry. We cannot have it in our lives. Why? Because you're children of God. Co-heirs with Christ. And we've got something waiting for us that's so much better than what we have right now. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we know that you are our salvation, our only hope in this world that is full of wickedness and full of sin. Lord, we know there will be times we will be tempted, but we need to, we need to fight that temptation with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We need to be in Christ. We need to be in your word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be with others. Strengthen us. Iron sharpening iron. Lord, alone we will fail. We will fall. Together, we are one. Together, all of those things that separate us are gone. We are one in Christ. We know, Lord, that no matter how bad it gets here on this earth, that we have a place waiting for us. But this is not our home. We're strangers in this world. There's a place waiting for us that is beyond compare. There's a place waiting for us that is beautiful and, and safe. There's no sin. There's no death. There's no tears. There's Christ. And joy and love and peace. All the fruit of the Spirit are there. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes firmly on things above and not things of this world. We praise you. Walk with us, Father. Carry us in those times when we are hurting. Bring us to people who can walk with us and help carry our load. But most of all, give us Christ more and more every day as we walk in this world. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people say. Amen. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comment section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.